Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. My name is Elliot and today I'm going to be going over, and I feel like it's been a long time since I've done any kind of hunt recap here. Um, I'm going to go over my hunts over Thanksgiving break and I'm going to talk a lot about migration and when do birds move, when do birds come in. And, and this is certainly not something that I am going to be acting like an expert about and saying this is how it is because it is a difficult puzzle to solve. And, and I don't know, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there that have an, have strong opinions on this. Like when do the birds show up? Why do they show up? And so I would like to talk to you about my thoughts because that kind of played a huge role in my three hunts during Thanksgiving break. And I really, thought that the mallards were going to show up. You know, this has been an unusual year. This has been a really good year. In fact, I am on pace for my most successful year ever. And I'm logging my hunts over at the North American Waterfowler app. You can find that on iOS and Android. I had that made myself. So if that's something you want to do, go and check it out. But I'm having a really, really good season. I'm at 22 hunts, 89 ducks or 88 ducks in a coop. <laughs> and averaging over four ducks per hunt. And it's just a really productive season for me, but it's been really, really strange. We, um, I've been talking to a lot of people, and it seems like the migration is just behind. I am recording this on the 29th of November, and to this point, let me see how many mallards I've shot. I've only shot five mallard drakes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of times when we shoot a lot of mallards in November. 
I, I remember in, let's see, it would have been season three. That would have been 2017. Let me go back. I'm going to sort this real quick and see. There was a year. Let's see, 15, 16. It would have been 17. There was a year. In two, I believe it was 2017 that that we just killed a ton of mallards in the month of November. Let me sort by that and see. Um, in that November, I went on eight hunts. I killed 25 mallard drakes that November, just in November alone. Um, so there are some Novembers that we just absolutely pound them out. Now that was probably my best November ever that we just got on these birds. But point being is that the mallards are just not around. They're just now I am starting to hear some, some more mallards are being shot since Thanksgiving for sure. No doubt about it. Up until Thanksgiving, everyone was shooting green wings, pintails. And then you'd hear about a mallard shot here and there, a widgeon, a gadwall, but the vast majority of the limits were green wing teal and pintails in this part of the, of the central flyway. And there are some years where we just don't like that 2017. When I shot, um, 25 mallard drakes, I shot one green wing teal that year. In fact, my November numbers are crazy for that year. 2017, 25 mallard drakes, two hens, one gadwall, one green wing teal, one pintail drake, one ring neck, one shoveler, one widget. So that, that whole November, it was nothing really but mallards and this year if i go back to that sort for my birds so my bird numbers this year are 14 green wing teal four mallard drakes three pintail drakes two mallard hens a gadwall and a pintail so it's really skewed heavily towards um, green wings this year it's just been a strange strange migration and i love all types of ducks. I love the migration. I love blue wing teals, blue wing teal blowing into the state. And that's the first duck that I've seen since May. I love it. Slowly. You get the big ducks trickling in. And now in October, we're killing gadwall and pintail and more green wing teal. And then you shoot your first mallard drake of the year. Typically right at the beginning of November, I'll get my first mallard drake of the year. And so you'll see that transition through November where those, you know, not many pintails around anymore, more heavily concentration of mallards. So where by the end of November, it's like pretty much all mallards with some green wings mixed in and some other ducks mixed in, but it, you see the progression of the migration. And this year it's just totally different. We went up to the Nebraska, South Dakota border on the Missouri river. And man, you guys know, if you haven't heard me talk about this hunt, we got lucky because that's too early to go up there for that area. And we got the awesome cold front and it still did not move mallards in. We killed all almost exclusively gadwalls on that trip. And we were clear up at the South Dakota border while Matt High Prairie Sportsman out there in Western Nebraska at a lower latitude was crushing the mallards and we weren't seeing them. It seems like the mallard migration has been to the West of us this year and all through November we're having great hunts, but everyone's killing green wing teal. So as we approached Thanksgiving, we had been on a really stale um, weather pattern wise. Now, now with Nate, I, I, 
I still can't believe it wasn't stale because of how the weather was. We crushed, we crushed it. Nate and I did from falling tide TV, but the weather patterns were just mild and stale. I mean, mid thirties, fifties, forties, sixties, just for about two, three weeks. But that whole time people just killing green wing teal, killing green wing teal. And so the predicted weather for Thanksgiving got everyone really, really excited. On Tuesday, there was going to be a massive wind, massive northwest wind. Now, the temperatures weren't going to really start sinking until a little bit later, like Friday, Saturday. But massive winds on on Tuesday, good winds from the south on on Wednesday. Then um, Friday, we're going to get another heavy wind day from the north. And then a stagnant wind day on, on Saturday. But that's going to be the coldest day in a snowstorm. So I was telling people, I know the mallards are going to show up sometime between Tuesday and Saturday. Now, I'm not sure when, but I know they're going to show up in that time. That's what I was telling people. It's going to happen. I hope that it's Tuesday. I hope it's Tuesday. But at least if I hunt Saturday, maybe I can get in on that big mallard push. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Those three hunts, what I saw during that time, and kind of my, my reaction to it. After that, we're going to go into the comment of the week which is um, from someone on Instagram. And then finally, we've got another Woody's top five, which I cannot wait to talk to Woody. And if you want to watch me and Woody record these things live, it's so much fun. Patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. And when I record with Woody, we actually batch record that um, five at a time. So if you want to get in on watching me and Woody record and all of our pre-recording antics and, and post and in between and everything. It's just a really fun time. It's about an hour, an hour and a half, two hour thing. And, and, uh, people from Patreon come over, come over and, and follow the link and they can watch and comment. It's just a lot of fun. So patreon.com slash freelance duck honey. And don't forget to support the partners. Final approach is fabrand.com. Christmas is coming up. Treat yourself. The, Waterfowl decoy bag is about my favorite new addition to my hunting this year, for sure. I have used um, dry sacks for backpacks where just like it's a big bag. It's completely waterproof, but it's a big bag. You just stuff stuff in. But this backpack has it's awesome. It's big. It's got pockets. It's everything that I've ever really wanted in a waterfowl bag. FABrand.com. 10% off FDH 10. They've got the decoys. They've got the, the clothing. They've got the, the everything. Go check it out. It's really great. And don't forget on X hunt, download that app and start making your pins and sharing them with your friends today and upgrade your scouting and your communication between friends. And then water and then motion ducks decoy spreader. Uh, it is the best jerk rig on the market. And actually I am having been on next Monday and it's a, we've already recorded it. It was such a fun conversation, man. We really deep dive wind, water, and all those topics that's coming up on Monday. So get yourself a motion ducks decoy spreader. You can get the four or the ultimate, which is a seven, or you can build them out as much as you want and then just make a monster flock of ducks that you can move. Um, and I'm going to talk about, in my hunt recap today, I'm going to talk about a failed time where I, I wanted to have my motion duck spreader, but I forgot the anchor and how bad it actually um, affected the hunt because we would have done a lot better with megawads of mallard circling if I had had that thing. And that is FDH 10 
um, 10% discount code as well. So thank you so much for supporting the partners. It, it helps me. One of the best ways you guys can support me is give me a review and rating. It really, really does help. We're sitting at 4.7 out of 5 right now. I would love to get it back up to 4.8, get some more positive reviews on there. So whether you're watching on Spotify or um, iTunes, make sure and give that rating and review. So I'm going to go ahead and go into the hunts. I've already told you what my expectations were. Now, on Wednesday, I hunted with a guy named Walter who I met at the Kansas City HRC, which is where I, I train with Georgie. It's the local hunting retriever club. And I met Walter there, just a really cool guy. And so we had never hunted before. So we decided, let's go, let's go hunt. Now, if you saw my most recent video release, I released one today of Go Hunt from Golden Boy, but my, my release from Monday I hunted a little slew by myself. This is the same place that Walter and I hunted. I went back to that spot because Walter also had an Invisiman. And um, I'm like, this is a great spot. We can go in a little bit later. This is a hard place to hide and you have to get there by boat. And so I feel like you can't really walk into this spot. Um, I can, I think I'm going to pretty much be able to hunt that spot whenever I want to because it's just really, really hard, hard to to hide in a boat there or even without you have to have something like a, a layout boat or uh, an invisible or something like that. So Walter and I got there a little bit late and on this day, the wind was going to start out slow and it was going to progress through the day. So my thought was Walter and I let Walter let's get out there about shooting time, glass around and go in and set up on this slough and just long hunt it today and, and let that, um, wind build so we can hunt the wind. And I talk a lot about this with Ben um, from Motion Ducks on Monday is how important the wind is to me. When I'm looking at the weather, the number one thing, the only real thing I care about is wind. I don't care about sunny. I don't care about cloudy. I, I do care about temperatures, uh, but wind is the number one variable as to how easy it's going to be to get ducks in place, how easy it's going to be to decoy them and to get them on the water. It's just, it's factual. That's the number one most determining factor. So I thought let's long, let's long hunt this and get this wind getting up there. It's going to be about 10 miles an hour with gusts at about 15 uh, from the Southwest. And it was perfectly set for this little slew. And I was so hopeful that the mallards were going to show up and, and be here. <clears throat> because of that big wind on Tuesday. So I didn't really know what to expect. I had hunted this general area, not the same, same location, but the general area the weekend before, and we had been shooting a bunch of green wings, a bunch of pintails. So I thought, well, um, I kind of didn't really want to shoot green wings right off the bat. I wanted to try to target mallards, but Walter and I got out there and there just wasn't very much movement. There just wasn't very much movement. Now, when we saw big ducks, we saw groups of mallards and about 10 to 15 mallards in a flock. And those had to have been new birds because I was not seeing that in this area previously. When we saw a mallard, it was like one, two, three. We weren't seeing the groups. And when I go from seeing two or three mallards working around and never seeing flocks, then to seeing flocks, it makes me think that they're new. Maybe that's wrong. That's my perception. My perception is those are probably, probably new birds. And on this day, man, it just absolutely did not happen. It absolutely did not happen. We ended up with one pintail drake each. And we hunted out there till like 2 o'clock. And they're just, the activity was very, 
very slow. Um, so that was that day. The Mallards, well, not there. And I'm thinking, well, that's okay. We've got this big, strong wind day on Friday, and the temperature are actually going to get much, much colder, below freezing. we got the snow coming on Saturday. I still got a Friday and Saturday to hunt, so I still think this is going to happen. Now, I talked to my buddy Phil, and he hunted on Wednesday, and he actually came close to shooting his limit. Now, the activity where he was was not great, but it was obviously better than, than what mine was because we almost got skunked. And so I talked to Phil. He wasn't going out there on Friday, um, and he was cool with me going into the area that he was hunting. So I'm like, well, let's just, I'm going to go by myself. And now this was a heavy wind day. I'm going to go by myself. I'm going to do a bunch of scouting around, see what I can see, and probably end up in that area where Phil was, and, and I'm sure I can knock some down. So I got there again at about shooting time and scouted around a bunch. And I was seeing some birds, but still it, it became obvious really quickly that the massive mallards just have not showed up, hadn't showed up. So I went over there to where my buddy Phil had been hunting. I went back in there, scouted around. I just wasn't seeing anything. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go ahead and set up because I'm, I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to set up here and for a couple hours and just find out. And I didn't fire a shell. I saw I saw maybe 10 green wings. Did not fire a shell. Which a couple of days later, Phil went back there and shot like seven or eight birds. Like, what in the heck? <laughs> he, he killed him. I went in, got no shots. He went back in. He killed him again. It was like, whatever, whatever. But it was real slow when he was back in there. So I hit the end of Friday, and I'm like, man, this is not happening. The, the mallards are just not showing up and Saturday was going to be a no wind day. So I'm like, Oh, I really thought the mallards would be there. I was calling around all over and there were some areas that definitely picked up some mallards. Um, but no, nothing around where I was. So I was debating whether I was going to hunt the next day and I have learned this. Now, if you have wives or serious girlfriends, this is something that has taken me so long to learn. And then maybe this is something that's just with me and not with you guys. Maybe, maybe so. But when I am driving home and it's been a long day and the sun's starting to go down, I don't feel like hunting the next day. I'm like, I don't want to hunt the next day. I am tired. I just don't feel it. And so in the past, when I felt like that, what I would do is I'd call my wife and be like, hey, I don't think I'm going to hunt tomorrow. And, and I'd set plans with her. And sure enough, every time I woke up <laughs> the next day, I felt different. And I'm like, oh, man, I do feel like hunting. And I had the green light and I shut the door on myself. And now I can't be like, oh, you know, I know we've got this lunch plan and stuff, but I'm going to I'm gonna go hunt. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I've learned not to do that. And so I got to texting around people um, Friday night because I just, I, I did not, I kind of felt like I wanted to take Saturday off. And I was talking to my little buddy Hunter, who if you've watched my channel, it's the Slayer. And he was going to go into this pool Saturday afternoon right on the snowstorm. And I'm talking to him Friday and I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't even know if I want to hunt. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I almost made that call to my wife. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I remembered. So I woke up. Uh, this, the moment I woke up Saturday, I knew I was on. 
I text Hunter, what time are you going to be there, man? What time are you going to be there? And so I hadn't hunted with him for a while. So we were walking back into this place, and, and it's it's moist soil, flooded moist soil, nice little spot. I'd actually never hunted this place. Um, I'd known about it. It wasn't new to me. I'd scouted it plenty. I just never, for whatever reason, I'd never hunted it. And um, so, so far, I've got one bird on two hunts over, over that Thanksgiving break. So we went in there and we set up a pretty big spread, like almost three dozen decoys. And as soon as we got in there, man, that snow started really falling, really falling. And immediately, like we were there maybe 10 minutes. And well, first, as we walked in, I saw several, several groups flying around and one group come into the marsh. And um, unfortunately, there was another group back in there with back in there where we wanted to be. Like, dang it. I did not want to sit up on top of them. This is another great thing about OnX. So there was a group of guys, two guys in, in the area we wanted to hunt. Pretty much right where we wanted to hunt. And so I got I got as close to them as I could to find out exactly where they were. And then I pulled up um the OnX app and I pinned exactly where I knew they were. And I looked around and I saw where we wanted to set up and I did a line distance to where we wanted to set up and it was 225 yards. And so, cause I was like, I am, I really try to hold by that 200 yard rule. I do not, I'm not going to set up 150 yards. If it's like 195 or something or 190 maybe, but like I, the fact that it was 225 was actually probably a little farther than that, but like 225, I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. And that was really, really um, assuring to me to have Onyx to use like that and to know that I wasn't setting up too close to these guys because I did not. They had shot one as we were coming in. I'm like, man, I felt kind of bad. I was like, I do not want to ruin these guys' hunt. So 225, I think about 200 is the standard. So you get outside of that. And we talked to them later. And I and um, as we were walking out, I said, man, I, I hope that we weren't set up too close to you guys. And they're like, no, no, we're fine. We actually, it was no big deal at all. It kept the birds working. And I was like, I, I was like, I, I checked it off at 225. And so, you know, I just want to let you guys know that you know, I want them to know I was being considerate about it, that I was think being thoughtful about it, not trying to ruin their day. I want them to have fun too. And they'd actually end up shooting their limit. So as soon as we set up, there's a group of like 40 mallards circling us, like right off the bat, circling, 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 circling. And they didn't do it. And I look out there and those decoys are just white as white gets from snow. So we went out there and I'm like, man, we need to cut this spread way back. So we cut it down to about a dozen and a half decoys, I think, maybe a little bit more. Because there was just so much white on the decoys. And every 15 minutes, we were going to have to go and knock that white off the decoys. So I just didn't want that big presence. And this is when I really, really, really missed having the motion ducks decoy spreader. Because if I had had it, which I, I brought it with me, I just forgot to anchor. If I had had it, then we just would have used the ultimate with the seven decoys. And by jerking that thing back and forth... I could have gotten all the snow off those decoys. I ne we never would have had to had white snow on a decoy because throughout the day there was plenty of there was groups that circled us when the decoys were released. Mildly white, it varied because we were trying to shake them off about every fifteen minutes. And unbelievably, we never had a flock show up when we were knocking the the, the snow off the decoys, which was mind blowing because you'd think that every time you walked out there, there that's what would happen. But if I had had that anchor, you'd have the seven. Because th there was no wind, so this water was just pure glass. 
So we'd have had, we would have had the seven. There never would have been any snow on it. Cause I'd have been able to get that snow off there all the time. Um, it would have been motion on the water. And I think we probably would have shot our limit quite honestly, but it ended up being a really, really fun hunt. And because every group that we saw, we were there from one until five because four 59 was the end of shooting time. Even though we heard someone on a different marsh shoot at like five twenty, idiots. Um, Every group that we saw was a big old group of mallards. And we only had probably throughout that time, it's like about once every hour we had this activity period of, of nice groups of mallards. And we did end up shooting seven. Five of them were mallards. Two of them, we had a beautiful group of little greenies come in. I've got this video locked and loaded and ready. I'm not sure when I'm going to post it. It's on Patreon right now. I already posted it there. But I've got this video ready to go. And, uh, man, it was so fun to be working big groups of mallards. And we had one group basically finished, not the whole group finished. And I think we probably shot a little early on it, but we knocked three out of that group. We knocked two out of a group of green wings. We knocked two out of another group of mallards and then three out of a group of mallards, just to kind of give you an idea. And it was a lot of fun. It felt so good to be working these big groups of mallards. So much fun to do. So I don't know if those were new mallards. I guess they probably were new mallards. I guess they probably were, but it's not like we had the mallards come in in force. It's not like they all showed up. So when I said the mallards would show up between Tuesday and Saturday, I was just absolutely wrong. From everything I've heard, they have not shown up now. And we now and now we're in a warm cycle. We're in a warm. I don't, I don't know how long this warm cycle is going to be. This may be a tough run of hunting here in the next three or four weeks, if we don't get like some kind of, we need a really big front. We need like everything to ice and lock down is what we need. It's what I'd like to see happen right now. Cause I don't know when these mileage are going to show up. It's going to be December and we're still, they're going to be thinking the mileage are North of us. Or maybe they just went around us. I know there's other areas and other states where people are killing mallards, but everything I'm hearing is that this little shoot of migration is just not, not showing mallards right now. So I was completely wrong. I would have bet so much money that from Tuesday to Saturday, we'd get a big push of mallards. And it just didn't happen. Now, we did not have massive temperature drops. So it had been about 35 to 40 at nights and in about 60 during the days. And it dropped to like um, 26 at night. And there was a couple of days, a high didn't even hit 50. So we did have a temperature drop for about 10 degrees, but it wasn't like a, a massive. I just thought, though, like we hadn't had any conducive um, temperatures or fronts since halloween in a month so i thought with like this mild temperature drop and these heavy north winds there would be a bunch of birds that were just ready to roll and maybe that happened in there for whatever reason they just didn't come to to this part of the state i mean we are still in a pretty severe drought so maybe on droughts birds just know where the water is and take different paths it very well could be that but I was talking to Joel Strickland down in Arkansas, and I mean they don't they don't have the birds yet. It just feels like the migration's behind a few weeks. It just feels like it's behind about three weeks for whatever reason. So 
when do when do birds move on the fronts? What's going to have to happen for us to start being knowledge? I don't know. But I'm going to take a quick break, and we're going to get back, and we're going to do comment of the week, and then we're going to have Woody on here. So the the song I'm going to I just on the way home I had on Spotify this cool little thing happened where it showed you um, my top five artists on Spotify and the top five songs I've listened to on Spotify. And I was actually really surprised by this. And I posted this on um, Instagram, on my story on Instagram, I posted this. And so I'm going to play my number two song for you today on this list. So it's one through five. I'm going to play my second most listened to song. I was so surprised because three out of my top five most listened to songs were from um, Damien Gerardo. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And I really, really like him, but I wouldn't, I just didn't realize that I listened to these songs that much. And so this song, uh, I listened to the second most of any song in 2023. This is Ohio by Damien Gerardo. Out from my window across from the city, I have what's considered a good view. Two blocks from the subway, three from the fountain, where I walk to break in she stands on the sidewalk just waving at taxis like horses and parades in passing. I ask where she's headed, she tells me, Ohio, I've not seen my mother in ages. It's been a long time. Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Welcome back. And let's go ahead before we bring Woody on here and jump into the comment of the week. It's time for the comment of the All right, this comment comes from Matthew off of Instagram. Now, I have talked to Matthew on and off for, I don't know, five, six years. He's just one of those guys that contacted me on Instagram because he watched my um, videos and lives kind of in my area, and, and we just kind of become became familiar with each other, just talking back and forth on Instagram, which happens quite a bit because I do get contacted, and I love talking ducks, so I typically talk to people when they contact me. I'm not one of those guys that if you reach out to me, you're not going to hear back. Um, that just very seldom happens. And so Matthew asked me the question, Hey Elliot, would you rather hunt before tomorrow's storms on Saturday or afterwards on Sunday? Now, Saturday was the day that I was telling you about that I hunted with the snowstorm, but we had no wind. And then Sunday was going to be a better wind. And originally I told him, I don't know. At that point, I'm like, I I think he sent that um, Friday and I'm just like, I I have no idea, man. I thought that the the ducks were going to be here the mileage were going to be here sometime and they're not here and I'm feeling clueless right now. So I don't know, but I really got to thinking about it and I'm like, no wind on a Saturday, but, st- but snow Sunday wind. I'm going to hunt Sunday. If I have those, one of those two choices, because if they do show up Saturday, you're still hunting Sunday. If they show Sunday and you hunt Saturday, you miss them. And I'm always going to pick Remember, I told you at the beginning of this wind is my number one most important factor in a Monday's podcast, guys, I am going to deep dive into this and really um, give you the data that I've acquired at the North American Waterfowler app because there you can sort. I can go in and and sort how wind affects people from zero to five miles an hour, six to 12, 13 to 20 and plus 20 and how people do on those wins. I cannot see anybody's individual accounts at all. It like lumps them together. So if I put on there um, hunts where people have recorded zero to five mile an hour wind and I hit filter, it shows like 9,000 hunts have been recorded where the wind was zero to five. And on these 9,000 hunts, they average this many birds per hunt and, and, and this, these are the types of birds were shot, but it doesn't, I cannot see anyone's individual things. It like summarizes them. And I'm going to go into that data hardcore on Monday. So be ready for that. I'm I'm really excited to bring that content to you guys. Um, so Matthew, I would definitely go on the wind on Sunday. If I have two days, one without wind, one with wind every single time, I'm going to pick the wind or as much as I can, depending on what I'm doing. So, um, there you go with that. Uh, one last thought on the, on the migration. I, I, they're just so hard to predict. And I think there are so many variables involved in whether birds are going to migrate. I feel like there are certain fronts where I'm just like, yep. Like, for example, if we go, if all of a sudden this Friday we have 20 to 25 mile an hour winds and this front blows in, where it's going to be like 10 degrees, low of 10 degrees, high of 20 degrees. We're getting new birds. We're getting new birds. If it's like an Arctic blast where everything up in the Dakotas and Nebraska is just like locked, we're definitely getting new birds. 
So, but then it's like these lesser fronts are the ones that are so difficult to predict. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed all of that. Let's go ahead now and bring in my best buddy, Woody. All right, boys, let's get this wrapped up so we can get back to hunting. Well, how's it going today, Woody? Hey, hey, listen, I'm doing good today. I've had a had a pretty good day today. Ran, ran around town, did some errands, and stopped by the ice cream shop. Got me a big old ice cream Sunday kind of deal there. They put all kinds of stuff on it. They, you can get, I got Heath Bar and uh, cashew nuts and caramel. Mm, that was good. Yeah, you know, my parents are freaks for Dairy Queen, and they admitted to me they went to Dairy Queen, and they both like to get those peanut butter parfaits. They went through the drive-thru, sat in the parking lot, finished them, and they didn't do it, but they were this close to making a second round and going back in through for another couple of peanut butter parfaits. I wish they had done it just so I could tell the story. Like, they did it. They almost did it. <laughs> That's gluttony right there. Uh, yeah, they've earned it, though. Yeah, that's true. If I live to be 70 or 80 years old, I'll probably go through Dairy Queen three or four times a day. Yeah, if, I hit, if you hit 80, I guess my dad's 79, my mom's 80, you can go through Dairy Queen as many times as you want. <laughs> <laughs> my mama, like years ago, this is when I was a young boy, there's a place called Duckies. It was a little restaurant. And they had, they claimed they had the world's largest ice cream cones. Mm. And if you ordered a large, they couldn't get it out the drive through window. It was so tall. <laughs> <laughs> the cup or the cone that it come in was, mercy sakes alive, it was the size of a, a good-sized coffee cup. It was big. Nice. <laughs> then it, it, it was at least a foot tall. And they, they had. So if you ordered the large, they had to come out the front door and bring it to you. They couldn't even hand it out the <laughs> window. And my mom would eat the whole thing and ask for another one. She could eat ice cream like nobody did. Still can't. She still eat it like that. It's making me hungry. Mm, I know it. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I got the top five worst animals that could ruin a waterfowl hunt. Top five worst animals that can ruin a waterfowl hunt. Now, Back when I was a young boy, I didn't even hardly know what a bald eagle was. But number five on my list is an eagle, because now, pretty much anywhere you go, if there's if there's many, very many waterfowl around, there's going to be an eagle swooping around someplace. And I have seen multiple videos just in the last couple of years of folks having a cripple laying out there on the water, flopping around, and before the dog can get to it, an eagle comes swooping in and grabs it and flies off mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, old Lim and I, this has been probably 10 years ago, I reckon. We had us a, a little little slough there. We was sneaking up on. We was going to try to do a little jump shooting on it. And uh, there's a whole bunch of, of geese sitting out there just hollering like crazy. And all of a sudden, the geese got real quiet. And usually when you got a bunch of geese sitting on the slough and they get real quiet, that means something's about to happen. So we run on up there right up behind the levee and uh, it just got real quiet and, and still 
And Liam said, what do you think's coming on? I said, I don't know. We looked up right about that time. Here come a big old bald eagle swooped right in over our heads and went right out over the all them geese and flared them up and every single one of them took off and flew the other direction. We never oh, got man. a shot at any of them. There must have been oh, it's probably five or six hundred geese sitting out there. But old bald eagle, they'll come in there and just screw everything up. But, you know, still kind of pretty to see. It was worth it. He right. he probably wasn't, I bet he wasn't 30 feet high. He come right over our heads right there. Oh, man. I, that's, I love seeing eagles. They, like you said, growing up, there just wasn't many around. It's been a oh, great no. restoration program. They've really made a comeback. There's so many of them now. I sh- typically once a week, I'll see one on my way to work once a week. There's a, a place they've got a big nest built in the tree next to a little swamp there along the road. And just about about once a week or so, I'll see them sitting right on the side of the road eating, eating on roadkill or something. Oh, that's cool. Uh, all right, number four is a cottonmouth. Now, the further north you you go up to Minnesota, you probably don't have to deal with this too much, or go to Canada or North Dakota or someplace like that. But down in the south, duck season ain't always super cold, and so there's a lot of cottonmouths running around out in the swamp. And uh, old Lem, he's he for as fearless as Lem is in a lot of regards. He is scared to death of cottonmouth snakes. Mm. And so years, years ago, I had a little $20 canoe that we'd take out and paddle around. We didn't have enough money to buy anything else. And uh, <laughs> we put that little $20 canoe in on the creek, and we'd float all the way down around the bend of the creek and try to kick up wood ducks and shoot at them. <laughs> we went underneath a tree limb one time, and there's a snake hanging up there on that tree limb. It fell in the boat. Well, I'm 100% certain it was just a water snake, but old Lem was convinced that it was a cottonmouth. And he stood up in that canoe. If you've ever been in a canoe with two people, one person stands up. It's It loses its stability really quick anyway. Sure, yeah. And he went to stomp it on the, trying to kill that snake. And Elliot, he kicked, he, he stomped so hard, he busted all the rivets out of the bottom of the canoe. And then in the process of doing it, we went underneath another tree limb. It caught him right under the chin, just flipped him over. The He rolled over me and out the back of the canoe. And then there I sat with a canoe with a, the rivets all busted out of the middle of it. And so it was taking on water. So I paddled it over to the side as quick as I could. And then I had to fish limb out of the water. He wouldn't go back on that creek for at least six months. He was afraid he's going to get attacked by another flying cottonmouth. <laughs> But uh, I'm seen, with Lim. I can't stand snakes. They're mm. my, uh, uh, they're my Achilles. I've seen a lot of videos of, of them old boys way down south there. They go getting a duck blind, and there'd be a, a whole pile of cottonmouths laid up in there, staying warm or something. Like that. Mm, no way. That ain't my kind of hunt. All right. Anyhow, number three is mice. Now, mice will they can ruin a hunt in a lot of different ways. Uh, if you've ever left anything in the duck blind someplace, or even just out in the garage or whatever, uh, mice can chew a hole through just about anything except a metal ammunition can <laughs> and there, the gas can on your boat. And Lord have mercy, I, I can't tell you how many times they've chewed a hole through the wiring of my boat motor or chewed a hole in the gas line or chewed a hole through my waders. And they could do that. They're so tight. They're little, the little teeth, they chew a little, little tiny hole. You can't see it, 
until it's everlasting too late. <laughs> You're standing out there waist deep in water, and suddenly you find out there's been a mouse chewing on the butt of your waiters. And so, mm. darn little things, they can just, they can ruin a duck hunt without it, without you ever even seeing them. They can ruin it. And it, if heaven help you, if there's one in your waiters when you put them on or something, you can really mess you up. I've got a bunch of those little suckers in my shed. In my shed we had built, it doesn't have a concrete floor. It's got a like a rock floor. Mm-hmm. And, man, they come in there, and they make nests out of diff- all sorts of different crap and everything. And I set up a bunch. I thought they were rats. And I set up a bunch of uh, rat traps. And I, out of all the rat traps I had in there, I caught one tiny little mouse. I don't know. They're really smart or what the deal is. I don't know why I can't catch them. They, they do the man they make a mess they tear things up like crazy i i went to put my one of the places we used to hunt had an old barn there and so it was a little walk back in there me and lynn we just left all of our stuff in the barn one evening hung our waiters up in there we said tomorrow when we come back we can walk in here and get dressed in this barn it'd be a little easier than having to walk you know it's probably a half a mile or walk or so instead of having to wear your waiters all the way back we'll just wear our regular boots Anyway, hung our way. In 24 hours time, we didn't go back till the next evening, less than 24 hours time. I put my waders on. Elliot, there was enough corn in one of the feet of my waders. I couldn't. It was past the ankle. It was at least a gallon jug full of corn in that one foot. They'd hauled. They had to have been working. They had to have been a hundred of them. We're working all night long to fill uh, that boot full of corn, but that I mean, that wasn't didn't bother me nothing. It was just kind of funny that they'd done it. Yeah. All right, number two. Now I've never experienced this one either, but I know there's plenty of folks that have. This is enough to make me not want to go to Louisiana to go duck hunting. And that's alligators. Right. Now that I ain't scared of a whole lot in the woods. Snakes don't bother me too bad, and spiders. I get a little, I get a little antsy around yellow jackets, but other than that, there's not a lot out there. Just really, you know, coyotes start howling, don't bother me none. But there's something about an alligator. If I was out standing in the water duck hunting and an alligator comes swimming by, a big old eight foot long alligator, I, I'm afraid I'd mess in my waders. Yeah, I, terrifying. I, I, I just can't. I, I want to be the apex predator. In the swamp, I do not yes. want to be on the menu, right? And so, and you know, I, I've seen plenty of videos of fellas they shoot a duck, and before they can get out there and get it picked up, an alligator grabs it, and swims off with it. That just, I, I, and these fellas down now, this ain't duck hunting, but I, I, there's a couple of fellas I watched down on uh, on YouTube down there in South Carolina, and they uh, deer hunt with dogs, and they lose yeah. dogs every year. They've got, you know, they use all kinds of old cur dogs to run run deer with. And they lose several dogs a year to alligators. They mm-hmm. hunt the swamps down there on the coast. I, I do not want to hunt. <laughs> I love hunting, don't get me wrong. But I do not want to hunt where there's something like that swimming around. They might want to eat me. Yeah, <laughs> having Georgia get eaten by an alligator just seems like I would be scarred for life. I know I would. No I way. can't imagine if I went hunting and something grabbed Lamb Parsons and swim off with him. Yeah, I'd ever get over it. 
<laughs> All right, number one. <laughs> number one is bullfrogs. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, how in the world can bullfrogs ruin a duck hunt? Mm-hmm. Well, years ago, we had us an old, we, we got an old wooden, kind of scrapped together some pallets and built us a wooden box blind to sit down in the, in the field that guy was letting us goose hunt in. And so we got it, had it, had a, we built us kind of a wood floor down in the bottom of it. Like we got in there one year and it was cold. I mean, I'm talking well below freezing cold. Me and Lim got down in there to goose hunting. We knew the geese weren't going to fly till 10 o'clock or so. We got in there and had us a little gas heater, got that heater going and just got comfortable and cooked us up some eggs and bacon on the little frying pan there. All of a sudden, old Lim said, hey, What's going on over here? I said, I don't know. What's the matter? He said, look here. <laughs> there in the floor, there's a board that was kind of loose, and that board had kind of popped up. And there was a big old bullfrog come crawling out of that hole. But he was mm-hmm. re- he was cold. You know, they'd been in the, they'd get down there and buried in the mud. And so he was real cold, and he come crawling out of there real slow. Lim said, I, I think that's a zombie. I said, ain't a zombie bullfrog. He said, I'm pretty sure that thing's a zombified frog. I should just kick him back in the hole. So he kicked him in the hole. A few minutes later, he said, he's back. That zombie bullfrog's back. I looked over there and I said, yeah, and he brought some fringe too. And further on down, there's about five or six of them. We got that heater going in there and it started getting warm. I guess them frogs thought it was spring. And they all started climbing up out of that mud hole in the bottom. Elliot Lim got so scared, he packed up his stuff and left. He wouldn't come. <laughs> I hunted the rest of that season, and he never would go with me back to that to that blind in that cornfield. He's afraid. Lim's them a little jumpy. Zombie bullfrogs are gonna get him. <laughs> <laughs> they was they were so funny because they was they was just cold, you know cold, and so they just crawl out real slow. You could just nudge them back in the hole with your foot, and they'd come crawling right back out. Oh my god. They zombies. Anyhow, there's your top five animals that can ruin a waterfowl hunt. All right, buddy. Well that appreciate that list. That was jam packed. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us here for another episode of Woody's Top Five. All right, guys. Well, thank you again for being here with me on the North American Waterfowler podcast. Again, please hit me up with that rating and review. Does a lot. Really helps me out. That is all that I have for today. We'll be back again on Monday with Ben from Motion Ducks. Until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. Please hear me, Ohio, your daughter wants to come home. She longs to be with you, to hug you, to kiss you, to never leave her alone. And I've gotten to know her, to live with, to love her. It's hard to see her leave. She belongs to her mother and the state of Ohio, I wish she belonged.